0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Nothing ever works in the studio anymore. So this morning, we're going to be kind of winging it just a bit. Uh, to get through today's uh, morning commentary but nonetheless uh, we'll get you there so first of all markets rallied a bit yesterday and again kind of not surprising as we talked about yesterday the market was a little bit oversold here on a real short-term basis so a bounce was likely and of course looking for that bounce back up towards that 20-day moving average and as we said yesterday that's kind of the key resistance so this morning futures pointing a little bit lower again not surprising we've got cpi data out tomorrow now of course this is going to be the next look at the inflation data before the federal reserve has their jackson hole wyoming uh kind of fed speech you know every year we have the jackson hole summit which is this kind of economic forum of all the central bankers in the world and Major bankers, et cetera, all come together to talk about policy and and direction of economies and those type of things. So this is going to be the look at inflation before we go into that Jackson Hole Summit. Now, uh, again, the Federal Reserve just hiked rates back here in in this month in July. And, you know, that was uh, kind of an expectation that maybe they would hike rates and this will be it. But tomorrow we'll get this inflation data expectations, of course, or that inflation will continue to weaken. But there is some risk here that we could see a small uptick in inflation. You know, energy prices have been on the rise, et cetera. Automobile prices have picked up here just a bit. And something we'll talk about today is that economic data may actually be at that point in the cycle that we may see a turn in some of that economic data. Strengthening the economic data would also lead to higher rates of inflation. So the question becomes, really, is the Fed done at this point? I don't know the answer. But um, odds are that we may see here over the next few months a small uptick in inflation that could worry the markets here a bit. So, again, we'll get that inflation data today, uh, tomorrow. But, again, market's a little bit soft this morning in anticipation of, you know, what that reading may be. Of course, a, a, a reading that comes in higher than expected may certainly weigh on markets further tomorrow and on the assumption that if inflation is starting to take up here, the Fed's going to, have to remain aggressive and obviously with the markets very detached from real rates. Now, again, we touched on this yesterday a bit. If you take a look at the NASDAQ in particular, you know those type of companies, companies that are dependent on high growth, um, they need lower interest rates and lower inflation in order to support that earnings growth, especially when you have companies trading at 10, 20, 30 times price-to-sales. Those really are dependent upon very strong economic growth. So for the rate hikes, of course, and this is why if you take a look at longer-duration assets, growth companies, as an example, that, depend, that need long runways for you know, growing earnings to catch up with valuations, That's why there's a high correlation historically to real interest rates. So if inflation is beginning to tick back up, that may not be so good for growth or or durational assets like growth stocks. And again, there's a big detachment right now uh, this year in particular because of this big surge in just a handful of these big growth mega cap names. There's this detachment from the index versus real rates and again so at some point that's going to, have to catch up either real rates are going to, have to reverse and catch up with with stocks which would be a very sharp drop in inflation and a, a drop in, in interest rates or you're going to have prices catch down or a combination of both and of course probably the combination of both is the most likely outcome and that would be coincident with the onset of a recession whatever that is now you know speaking of recession um, there is no expectation of one (laughs) right now so remember this time last year everybody was expecting a recession now nobody expects a recession which ironically is about typical of what you would expect Um, if we go back and look at the last three recessions in particular recession expectations dropped markedly before the recession actually set in again when the market kind of expects something to happen that's generally when it doesn't. When the market doesn't expect it to happen, that's generally when it does. It's, it's just basically markets pricing and expectations. But again, most of the time, the herd is wrong You know, at turning points. And so again, as we get into next year, the question is going to be, will we see that recession? Will we see that economic slowdown? Some of the economic data certainly suggests that, leading economic indicators, et cetera. certainly ex- suggest that we should see an economic slowdown, but again, We've had this data negative for such a long time now, the question is, will it begin to turn? Okay, with that said, we'll get into that this morning, though. Here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Again, as I said, yesterday, you know, the markets were very oversold, looking for that challenge to the 20-day moving average. That occurred yesterday. Nice rally during the day. Markets finished up pushing right into that 20-day moving average. This morning markets are going to open lower so this will technically be a failure of that test of that 20-day moving average and as we've talked about over the last couple of days such a failure would certainly suggest a, a lower low for the markets at least in the near term coming down to test that uh, 50-day moving average currently sitting right around 4,400 so again not a deep decline here but the MACD sell signal still firmly intact here at a fairly elevated level suggesting that we do have some more work to do price wise and the normal kind of oscillation of that indicator uh, relative strength did pick up just a little bit yesterday but again it's still oversold so again you know uh, you're not looking for an immediate sell-off we just don't have that type of panic in the markets right now kind of more this gyration in fact we could see the markets just kind of trend sideways here for you know a couple of weeks allowing these moving averages to catch up to the market itself certainly that's not surprising but again we're kind of in that period right now where the markets are very elevated from long term longer term moving averages and need a a bit of a breather here so either a longer consolidation of price movement going nowhere or we kind of get this pullback to the 50-day moving average we see what we look like when we get there but again, we really kind of need to work off some of these more overbought conditions that occurred from that rally over the last five months. We really just haven't done enough work here uh, yet to really get the market into a good risk-reward entry point to add exposure uh, a little bit more safely. We'll get there at some point, we're just not there yet. And again, these day-to-day movements uh, really don't mean a whole lot, but you know, again, what we're looking for here in particular is a technical failure or success of this initial level of support so again we took out that 20-day moving average a couple of days ago we're now going to we tested it yesterday if the markets can turn it around this morning and get back above the 20-day moving average well then we can retest the the recent highs as well Uh, so that would certainly suggest we're still kind of grinding higher here but again, what we're looking for is that failure. And if we do take out a failure of this 20-day moving average, the market turns down and we take out this low from uh, day before yesterday on Friday, take out the Friday's low, uh, that's going to definitely put the 50-day moving average as the next target for this decline. Again, nothing to be really concerned here. I mean, don't, you know, it's, it's not, this isn't worth you know, selling big chunks of your portfolio to raise as much cash. We're just going through a corrective movement in the markets very well expected this is one of those things you kind of just write out for right now and then take some of that extra cash you've got building up on your sideline to put that to work at you know the 50-day moving average if we get there and again just because we get to the 50-day doesn't mean we can't go lower uh certainly risk down to 42.40 uh at the 100-day moving average as well certainly possible uh for just a near-term correction and again, so you know, when we get to the 50, we'll reevaluate things. Are we sufficiently oversold? Have we reversed some of these overbought indications? Have we reversed some of these deviations from longer term moving averages? So we'll just analyze it as we get there. There's no need to you know, have a specific set time and date that I'm gonna do this exactly when this happens. When we get there, we'll measure it, we'll look at it, and then we'll make the best judgment on risk reward about putting capital to work. But that's the plan right now. And that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. So coming back from the break, we'll talk about some of this economic data. Has it been negative for so long that it's likely to turn up here a bit? And that may actually confuse some of the kind of some of some the more uh, bearish prognostications out there. But we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. So the markets have been doing very well this year so far. And uh, again, you know, when you just go back to this time last year, everybody was extremely bearish. In fact, bearish sentiment was reaching some of its lowest levels that we've seen since the financial crisis. Everybody was convinced there was gonna be a recession. And since then, uh, markets have been performing much better. Obviously, the, the rally since October has continued, and uh, particularly over the last five months, it's accelerated. And we've seen a, a much better turnout for markets this year than what most anybody expected to occur. Now, that's the way markets tend to operate historically, and they tend to do things that you don't expect them to do. And that's how, that's how things happen. So one of the important things to, to uh, look at, of course, is that markets tend to lead the economy by about six to nine months. And we, we hear this often. And the reason for that is is because markets are starting to, you know, they, when you're going through a period of time, markets get exceedingly bearish, like we saw. And then they go, well, you know, things are pretty bad here. So, I, you know, things are probably going to start getting better. And, and so they kind of start pricing in better times ahead from low points. And and same thing occurs when you get near, you know, very elevated peaks in markets. And and so if one way to measure that, and again, this is why markets ebb and flow over time, right? There's a cycle to markets. And so if we take a look at this chart of the S&P 500, and it's just the annual rate of change in the S&P 500. Now, importantly about this you know this chart is and we're going to kind of reflect back on this a couple of times as we have this conversation is that these cycles tend to occur over time Right, and so when you think about the markets, it's clear that you know not everything just goes in a straight line. You know, bull markets don't last forever; bear markets don't last forever. Things ebb and flow, and so we take a look back at the S and P 500. This is again, it's just the annual rate of change in the index. And what's clear is is that while it seems like markets just go higher, um, they really don't. There's this ebb and flow to markets on an annual basis, and and we see these cycles. And and you'll notice that. Not surprisingly, since October of last year, we had gotten fairly, you know, the the down cycle in 2022 got us fairly oversold to the bottom of that normal kind of cyclical range of the markets and markets have turned higher. Now, there's obviously clearly still more to go on the upside just to have a kind of a normal cycle. Right. Think about this like an oscillator. Right. And, and and it's going to oscillate up and down. And, and so we're coming off these recent lows. And because we're coming off these recent lows, expectations are that we should begin to see some improvement really kind of cross the board. So, again, though, however, to have this improvement. Right. We need earnings to continue to improve, which means that given that earnings are a function of revenue or come from revenue, where then revenue comes from economic activity we're going to start to need to see economic activity improving, right? So this this brings into question this whole analysis of, you know, the economy and earnings and these type of things. And again, if we take a look at, at market cycles, there's a clear correlation to earnings growth, Right? And that's also not surprising, right? So, again, if if the markets are expecting better outcomes, right, investors are starting to bet on a turn higher in earnings, et cetera, and that means a turn higher in economic activity, well, then we should see a correlation between earnings, the annual rate of change in earnings, and the annual rate of change in markets, and it's exactly what we see. Earnings have not turned up yet. Uh, So the second quarter, the annual rate of change, of the S&P 500 is still declining, but expectations are this is now the trough of that year-over-year rate of change in earnings, and we're going to start to see that improve, and that would be logical because the market is improving, and so as the market improves, markets are improving based on expectations of increased earnings, so earnings should start to improve in theory, right, in theory. And there's certainly some points in history where there's been short-term deviations and things haven't occurred, as you would have expected. But this is what market cycles are telling us right now, is that we should start to see an improvement in those earnings. And again, in order to have an improvement in earnings, we need to also see an improvement in economic activity, because that's where revenue comes from. And so if we take a look back in history, and we take a look at the leading economic index and we look at the six-month rate of change of that. That's been a very good leading indicator of economic recessions, et cetera. Um, and we also take a look at our economic composite index. Now, our, our economic composite index, which is the black line I'm showing you in this chart, but don't worry about it if you're driving. I'll, I'll explain to you. The important thing about this economic index is that it contains over 100 different data points of both soft and hard activity in the economy, service and manufacturing, Hard and soft data, leading and lagging indicators. It's a very broad measure of the overall economy. And, and not surprisingly, it has a very high correlation to economic activity. Now, importantly about this chart is, is that you'll notice that we are at some of the lower levels of periods of economic activity outside of extraordinarily critical event markets. Right. We obviously had a much deeper negative drag during the financial crisis when we shut down the economy in 2020. Not surprising. We had a much deeper drag of this economic data. But in a normal kind of economic environment that is that is devoid of a crisis of some sort. We are at a a very low level of economic slowdown and economic activity, according to all these indicators. Now, what that suggests is, is that we've been negative now for such a long period of time, just by the sheer nature of how economic cycles work, we should start to see some economic improvement in this data. In other words, things have been negative for so long, it doesn't take much to see some improvement. And it can still be negative data, it's just not as negative, and so it will start to improve. In other words, if we have an index that was negative 10 last month, but negative 9 this month and negative 8 the next month, it's still negative, right? But it's improving. And if you have improving economic data, that should feed back into, theoretically, improving earnings data. Because, again, you're measuring this on a year-over-year rate of change. So, again, if earnings are... Negative a dollar, then negative 90 cents, then negative 80 cents, it's improving. It's just still negative, right? And so if we take that economic composite, which is the, that 100 data points of hard and soft manufacturing activity, and we overlay earnings with it, not surprisingly, we see that same correlation of activity, right? So as the economic data improves, Even from low levels, you still start to see a turn in economic and earnings activity, right? Earnings improvement. If you get a turn in earnings improvement, that supports market prices. So, again, the economic data is what will drive the earnings improvement. And we're, again, if we take a look at this kind of cyclical rotation of markets, it suggests that we've been negative long enough now that we're gonna start to see some improvement. And that improvement, obviously, and, and, what, and one reason the markets are doing well right now, is coming from the sheer fact that we've had a massive surge in government stimulus. While GDP has been slowing, we've had this massive increase in the fiscal stimulus applied to the economy, which has been supporting a lot of this economic activity so far, and with this recent passage of the debt ceiling bill that increases government spending even more, um, certainly doesn't suggest that we're going to see a slowdown in that fiscal support to the economy anytime soon. so again, if this if this fiscal spending starts to relate to stronger economic activity, it's going to start to suggest at least at this point, that we should see an improvement, a continued improvement in earnings, which would help start you know help support this recent run in prices. Now, look, I'm not saying that this is all just fine and dandy and we're off to the races and, you know, everything's good. What we're talking about is economic cycles. And again, negative 10, negative 9, negative 8, still negative growth, right? But it's just improving negative economic growth. And that's what the markets are betting on is markets are betting on improvement. But earnings are still, earnings estimates are now, are, are still extremely elevated going out to 2024 analysts are expecting a growth rate in earnings that remains historically unsustainable. We're going to have to see those come down because you're growing at a pace or the estimates are at least our grow of earnings are growing at a pace that far exceeds what economic activity is. So even if you're seeing some improving economic activity, it certainly suggests that the upside cap to stock price appreciation is probably limited here because, again, you, there has to be some relationship between organic economic activity and what's happening with earnings and we're, we're really deviated above that and and right now we've got a, you know the markets have been starting to correct here lately and that's not surprising because we've got a fairly deep a fairly big deviation above the 50-day moving average so again this one we're talking about the markets need to correct back towards or potentially below that 50-day moving average which is completely normal um in any given cycle and and of course you know, we look at our technical uh, technical composites that we publish in our in our newsletter every week. Those are extremely overbought. They started to correct here a little bit last week, but they're still at very elevated levels. And most importantly, bullish sentiment is still extremely bullish. So again, markets have gotten well ahead of the turn in the economic cycle, but markets are anticipating this turn in the economic cycle, still a lot of work we gotta go through. But importantly, we've gotta be looking at the impact that there's still a lot of people expecting very negative outcomes over the course of the next 12 to 18 to 24 months. And you've gotta remember that markets and economics cycle, and we're at the point that we may begin moving into an up cycle in some of that data which may temper some of that more negative outlook. Okay, quick break. We'll come back, talk some more about the markets and the economy. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So here's the important thing to take away from so and and it's interesting because, you know, I wrote that article uh, that's on the website this morning talking about market cycles. I wrote that on Saturday. Um, And of course, the market started to correct yesterday. (laughs) So, you know, um, you know, the, the point is, is that, you know, markets are performing better. You have to give credit where credit is due. And yes, there's certainly lots of reasons to remain negative about a lot of things, right? Certainly a lot of, of of concerns out there relative to the economy and where we go to if we have a recession or not. Absolutely, recession's recession is possible. The one thing we kind of have to remember is we just had a recession. Yeah, the recession was a function of an economic shutdown, but we just had a recession. And throughout history, there's not too many occasions where you have recessions, within just a couple of years of each other. So that's also one thing to kind of keep in mind and one of the reasons why it's possible that we could avoid a recession. Um, but again, you know, we go back to you know, the Feds hiking rates, they're trying to slow things down, we're trying to get you know, unemployment you know, rates up a bit here and, and slow down inflation. So that's, that, that's all certainly the, the ingredients that you need for a recession. And so the question is where we get one or not and i I don't know the answer maybe maybe yes maybe no but it is what it is but i think we have to also just remember that markets do tend to ebb and flow and markets are pretty good at anticipating economic recoveries and which is what the market's been doing now it's gotten ahead of itself this whole ai chase etc has gotten well ahead of itself and so Again, this is why, you know, I note in the article that a correction is likely along the way, and we're probably going through that correctional process now. Everybody's very excited, very everybody's very bullish right now. So gonna have some type of a correction here, whether it's now or a couple of weeks from now, a couple of months from now, we're likely to have a you know five, three, five, seven percent pullback, right? That certainly wouldn't be surprising. But such would likely, again, kind of provide that setup for another rally as markets continue to anticipate a turn in the economic cycle. And if you do start to see earnings improve, if you do start to see economic cycles improve, some of this economic data improve, that will support the bullish case. So my whole point is just simply you can't just ignore that data that's out there. But there's certainly a lot of risk and, 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 you know, there's a lot of concerns that, that are going on. Um, but the one thing that we're, we also need to pay attention to is that we are moving into an election year. And nobody wants to go into a election year with the economy in a recession because it's a guaranteed lose. Go into an election cycle. With a recession, you're going to lose the election. That's just kind of history. So there's going to be a lot of support, kind of stealth stimulus, so to speak, of government spending, et cetera, to try to keep the economy moving along here until we get to the election. And this goes for both sides, right? I mean, there's, there, there's really kind of both sides here that, that have, you know, if you're running for Congress, you don't want to be in a recession, you know, going into an election for Congress. So there's there's a lot of incentive on both sides to make sure the economy kind of chugs along through 2024, get us past the election. Then you can have your recession. Have your recession, but after the election, not before the election. So, you know, this is, you know, that that federal spending is the one thing to kind of keep a watch on because it's it has increased sharply, and that's the one thing that, you kind of scratch your head and you go, Well, I just don't understand why the economy is just doing this and why companies are doing that. You know, you have all this other data out there that's just super negative, and and you know, I just don't I just don't get it. Well, there's a reason. But it's also important to understand that that markets just cycle over time. And you know, just in a normal, if you just kind of put, you know, kind of think about the economy as as one person just for a moment. During a recession, right? that person cuts back on everything. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about losing my job. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. So I'm, I'm going to cut back on my spending. And that's why you have a recession. But at some point, you've just cut back so much that you've got to go buy something, right? You eventually have to go buy groceries, right? You, you eventually have to go buy something, right? And, and so when that restocking cycle begins to occur within the economy, you can be, begin to see that pick up in activity. And that's why market cycle and the economics cycle, because you go through these these stages where you're destocking or restocking. And we've gone through a destocking process now for the last you know last year. And so we're just getting to the point now that you're going to start seeing some positive turns in some of this economic data. It's just the way the math works, kind of like, you know, we talked about with CPI, year-over-year changes. These year-over-year changes are going to start to show some improvement just because they've been negative for so long. It's just a function of math. But this is going to be the thing that we're going to have to factor in. And this is going to be the conundrum. It's like, well, how can this be happening when the Fed's doing this and this is happening? And, you know, commercial real estate and this, you know, the uh, article this morning about commercial real estate. Baltimore Sun editorial board tells everyone to keep calm. Commercial real estate in Baltimore is crumbling. Mostly due to their crime wave downtown, but it's also due to the work from home situation. Companies are downsizing. Moving out of the city, et cetera. But this is happening all across the country. Baltimore's just the latest headline. But we're seeing that same problem with commercial real estate across the country work from home, need less space. Companies are moving locations, signing lo- less leases, or not renewing their leases. So it's a problem. A lot of commercial real estate was built dependent on this whole work from office environment. That's changing. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. We'll see. But that's certainly those indications, right? Uh, automobiles. Everybody was going out. They had stimulus checks. They went out, bought autos. They drove auto prices through the roof. Now interest rates are much higher. The ability to refinance a car is much tougher. And, of course, now a lot of people just bought cars recently, so they don't need a new car. And they've got a lot of negative equity in that car, so it's going to be hard to turn it in, right, trade it in. So there's certainly issues in the automobile sector. There's certainly issues in the real estate sector. Housing still a problem right now. Just affordability. It's very interesting. I saw some analysis uh, yesterday talking about the housing market. It's a good example. In 1995 it cost about 31% of a person's income to buy a house. In 2020, right? Just before the pandemic shutdown, it cost 21% of a person's income to buy a house. And that was and and yes, housing prices increased from 1995 to 2020, right? So 25 years. Prices basically doubled on home prices. But because interest rates had fallen, the amount of income needed to pay for that house was only about 21% of incomes. Between 2020 and 2023, house prices doubled again And it's now 49% of a person's income to buy the house because of where interest rates are. But all that stimulus that we shoved into the economy created this explosion in home prices that has now created this unaffordability problem for individuals to buy a house. Now, that will eventually reverse itself, right? Supply and demand over time. So this will eventually work itself out, but it's going to take some time. But this is going to be another drag on the economy. There is a contribution factor from housing in the economy. And so if people can't afford to buy houses, that's going to take away from that contribution to the economy. So there's certainly, the point here is is there's certainly a lot of things to be concerned about with the economy. But it doesn't mean that you can't see an improvement in the activity, right? And again, it's going to cycle. You're going to have this this uptick in the economic cycle and it's going to downturn again and you could go through a period where these oscillations are fairly quick one year to the next type thing and this is why i've been talking about you know this idea of a recession can we have a recession certainly there's certainly the catalyst there to have a recession but it may not be in 2023 might not be in 2024 could be 2025 before we see the next recession because you've got to kind of have an increase in that cycle of economic activity. It, it pops back up, and that sets you up for that recessionary downturn. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't have the answers. All I'm trying to do is just work through this data. But, again, this is kind of what markets are predicting. But, again, you know, there's certainly concerns about the economy. Uh, UPS this morning reporting earnings missing on a lot of fronts. Suggests a slowdown in consumer activity. Yellow freight going out of business. That's other problems other than just the economy. But again, certainly suggests there's problems within the economy. Can't dismiss any of that. Anyway, we'll come back, wrap up the show. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the show this morning. Beyond Meat, fake meat company, down uh, 14% this morning. On fake earnings, I'm just, (laughs) just, just joking, (laughs) just, just joking. Beyond Meat uh, revenue falls as people don't want to eat fake meat. I mean, (laughs) just so many jokes here. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Anyway, if we ever get into a pandemic again, one thing you will know there'll be in a store is fake meat. Beyond Meat shelves were stacked. You couldn't find anything else, but you could get plenty of Beyond Meat. Anyway, earnings out this morning. We already talked about UPS and Beyond Meat. Uh, UPS down sharply this morning. Missing revenue forecast. Eli Lilly, Twilio, um, Bumble, which is the dating application. Rivian, the electric car company. uh, Capri Holdings. AMC Entertainment, of course. Everybody's kind of watching AMC. AMC's up 32% this year so far. Uh, Still down 78% from last year, but it's up 32% this year. So pick your poison. Uh, But everybody's hoping... That Barbenheimer um, will help save some of the theaters. That people will start going back to the theater, uh, you know, again in droves. And you know, it was very interesting when we shut down the, you know, the, the theaters. Were doing pretty well uh, on average um, pre-2020, really, pre- and, and pre-2019 when you know Disney actually made good movies. Um, and really, ever since the pandemic and this whole shift of focus and political infighting, et cetera nobody goes to the theaters anymore um, and theater attendance has just dropped markedly so so again, you know whether or not these theaters can survive long term without people going back to the theater is going to be a challenge and again, now, with more and more people. You know, just and again, this is also the problem with streaming services as well. You know, if I just wait, I can, you know, rent Barbie or Oppenheimer pretty soon. It'll be on my pay-per-view, and I can, you know, buy it for $19.95, or wait a little bit longer and I can rent it for $7.95 or $5.95 or whatever the rental rate is. And You know, when you start thinking about, well, I'm going to go to the movie, this is also the problem with the theaters, is it's great to go to the theater. It's fun. Get out of the house, go do something. But, excuse me, but by the time you spend, you know, you and your wife and a couple of kids, right, go buy the tickets. So you're pretty much in 50 bucks on tickets and then another $490 on, you know, popcorn and Coke, whatever you're going to get for concessions, then go watch the movie. You know, spending 1995 to buy it and watch it at home is certainly much more affordable, particularly in a in a economic softening, right? So, you know, do does AMC get their mojo back at some point, and you know, people start going back to theaters, getting out? I don't know. I, I, maybe maybe shutting down the economy has changed the consumption habit of movies, and people are going. I really don't need to go to the movie. I can just. Buy it and watch it at home. I don't know. I don't I don't have the answer to that, but, you know, just it, it is interesting. I mean, like, you can literally take a look at movie theater attendance. It was actually rising into 2019 and then just fell off a cliff and never came back in 2020. Restaurant brands, Novavax this morning, Under Armour, the overly expensive uh, athletic wear uh, will be reporting earnings uh, right <laughs> Warner Music Group, uh, Lee Auto, another electric car company. Fox Corp, Celsius, Blink Charging. Of course, they are the charging stations for electric cars. Uh, Neuolingo and Dutch Brothers Coffee Company. You know, we were talking about Starbucks the other day. Dutch Brothers makes actually very good coffee, right? But they don't have the cachet of Starbucks. Nobody goes around and goes, hey, you want to go to Starbucks? Nobody says that, right? You go, hey, want to go get a Starbucks? You go get Dutch Brothers. Or Black Rifle Coffee or whatever other, you know, chain is out there, right? It's just we've adopted this. You know, Starbucks created this cachet around drinking coffee. Well, actually, Starbucks created this cachet of drinking overpriced coffee. That's what they did, and they they did it very well. (laughs) We'll see. Um, Economic data this week, of course, uh, tomorrow is the... uh, much-anticipated CPI report, so we'll be taking a look at that very closely. Expectations are that we'll continue to see a little bit of weakness there, right? Uh, This this continued decline towards 2% is the hope. Um, One of the driving factors of that inflation number is going to be housing, which runs a big lag effect, and housing prices are coming down, so we'll see if that feeds into this economic data. The core inflation, of course, is what the Fed looks at, and not just CPI core, but they also look at PCE, the core PCE, which is the Personal Consumption Expenditure Inflation Index. They take a look at that also. Is that coming down? So we'll see. Well, you know, We'll take a look at those core numbers because that's really what's going to be driving Fed decisions here, particularly as we move into the Jackson as I said earlier in the show, this Jackson Hole Summit meeting coming up, which is going to be the next opportunity for the Fed to really kind of state their case as to their position on monetary policy. The, the markets are definitely hoping for a pivot in interest rates to start cutting interest rates and start going back to, you know, kind of this Fed liquidity program. But the Fed's been pretty adamant they're not going to do that until they see inflation, you know, back down towards 2%, and they're not going to really start doing QE until there's a problem economically until you get that recession whenever it occurs or a concern about it you know the problem that we have right now with rising interest rates is and this is uh, an article I'm working on now there's you know people talking about again you know oh interest rates have to go to 5 or 6% because of all the debt we're issuing etc and that's certainly logical in a market that is driven solely by buyers and sellers however what that analysis neglects is the impact of higher interest rates on a highly leveraged economy, which we have, you know, $32 trillion just in government debt, not to mention all the consumer, corporate, et cetera debt. But when you're talking about an economy that's leveraged 5 to 1, and a lot of that leverage is based on very low interest rates, there is a point to where if the buyers of of, of bonds go, I'm not buying it until I get a higher rate because of the risk, the Fed's going to step in and monetize that debt. They're going to force rates lower because they have to. The CBO just recently came out and talked about their debt projections to 2053. What that analysis neglects is that the Fed will have to monetize about 30% of that to keep interest rates at a normalized level. So again, it's just a function that we're slowly heading down that pathway to Japan which is where the, like the Bank of Japan, which owns 80% of the bond market in, in Japan, they'll eventually be the case that the Federal Reserve owns a very big chunk of the bond market in the U.S. to keep interest rates low, because you have to. The, market, the economy can't really sustain 4% interest rates on the 10-year Treasury, and it certainly can't sustain 5 or 6 The housing market is struggling at 7% mortgage rates it is going to be a death nail at 8 9 or 10% mortgage rates because the economy is based upon low interest rates. We have leveraged the economy based on low interest rates. The economic growth that we've had has been a function of low interest rates. The economic growth we've had has been a function of increases in the debt. You can't reverse that without having a significant economic downturn and contraction kind of on the level of what we saw during the Great Depression. Now, if you think the Federal Reserve is going to stand for a depressionary economy, then you're probably mistaken. But that's, that's what we've got to deal with going forward. The new normal is that the Fed is going to own more and more and more of the bond market over time, not because they want to, but because they have to. No president is going to want to preside over a depressionary economy. So the Fed will do their job. The Treasury will do their job. Because no no president and no Congress is going to want to cut spending. They certainly don't want to cut spending to social welfare programs. And again, this is the gray rhino theory. Michelle Walker, uh, she wrote a book back in 2016 called The Gray Rhino. The premise of the gray rhino was don't worry about black swan events. Black swan events occur, but those are one-off anomalies. The thing you need to worry about is the gray rhino, which is this inevitable outcome of debt. And at some point, the market solve that problem for you if you're not willing to take care of it yourself. And that's the problem of debt. And again, it's not tomorrow. Probably not next year. It's probably not 10 years from now, right? Look at Japan. They've been going along here for 30 or 40 years. Still, still kind of stumbling along, right? <laughs> still doing all right. But eventually, we'll see what happens. But what we do get from that, of course, is slower economic growth, lower inflation, less economic prosperity, but lower interest rates also. Just keep that in mind all right that wraps up the show for the day we'll be back tomorrow uh danny ratliff will join me and we'll pick up on the markets, see what happens today uh nasdaq down about 120 points right now pre-market dow's down about 250. so uh again we'll see if the market can recover and kind of keep you know get itself back above the 20-day moving average or Do we take out Friday's lows and look for a retest of the 50 day moving average, which right now seems more possible? But we'll talk about that tomorrow on the next edition of The Real Investment Show. Have a great day. See you back then.